Welcome to the Fools on Stools podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Council, with Kevin Walker and Cullen Brown. Today we have a fantastic, wonderful show for you guys today. We're talking a little bit of college football. We're talking about the biggest rivalries that will be going on this upcoming week for week one, as well as a little bit of MLB, Formula One, and the WNBA playoffs are going on. I know you guys are very excited, just as much as I am. So, how are y'all feeling today? Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good, yes. Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Ready for some college football. Ready for, you know, the MLB to get into the final home stretch. Of course, Formula One on its second of three consecutive races. WNBA playoffs are kicking in high gear. We've got a lot to talk about today. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm pretty excited to get into it, too, especially this college football. And we're close. We're so close to the NFL. I can taste it. Yeah, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Sports is kicking up. It is the start of the fall. And I know I am just as excited as you guys are. But before we get into it, we got to talk about something that happened last Friday. It's not a positive subject, but it's a subject that needs to be addressed Duke versus BYU volleyball happened last Friday, and there was an incident that happened that just needs to be addressed that no one really likes to talk about because, you know, we're in 2022, and um, we would love to think that these things would never happen anymore, but as as a matter of fact, they do still happen. Um, Duke volleyball player, um, I believe... Rachel Richardson. Yeah, Rachel Richardson. Yeah. was playing a game and she's a she's a setter for Duke volleyball and as she was as she was setting for, for her first set, uh, someone in the student section for BYU this was at BYU actually uh, said a racial slur um, out loud and she heard it and you know as as she said uh, you know she didn't get bothered by it but she was just trying to stay focused on the game and then when the final set of the game when the game was basically over she heard it again and. Um, uh, it was un- it's, it's unacceptable. Um, BYU, I believe that they they really they they heard about it, but they didn't really take charge of the investigation. Um, as this did happen last Friday, and now it is uh, Wednesday now, and it's kind of being brought to light. Um, that fan has now been banned from all BYU events, and it wasn't even a student, as a matter of fact. Uh, at BYU, it was kind of like a bystander in the student section. Yeah. Um, he was a college student at uh, Utah Valley University. Yeah. So a fellow college student, but not at the University of BYU. Right, right. Which was, uh, it's, 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 un, it's unacceptable. It's uncalled for. But the way that she took it, um, as she took it to social media, was very respectful. Um, and, you know, not as, not stereotypical as um, some may think that, that some people would re- react to a racial slur like that. Um, she did it. Very professionally, very respectfully, and um, big props to her uh, and to everyone on the BYU team because they have reached out to her, um, people from Duke. Some professors have reached out to her uh, showing support, um, letting, letting her know that, um, that they're there for her, that they love her, which is, which is huge. Yeah, I mean, like, like you already, already said beforehand, it's absolutely horrible that we are still having to deal with this and the, in this world that we live in. Um, I know it took a little while for action to be made, but um, I'm glad action. I'm glad things were uh, taken uh, into action, and that the person was suspended from all um, all games. It's just there, there's just no room for that. We don't. There's just absolutely no need for it at all. Um, I don't. I just don't understand why people can't 
enjoy sports and be happy with it and just I, I just I, I just I guess I just don't understand what kind of frame of mind you have to be in to be so such a horrible a horrible person. Yeah. So the BYU police lieutenant, uh George Bessendorfer, I apologize if I mispronounced your name, sir. Um, said the initial investigation of the footage from the crowd did not appear to show the person who was banned shouting anything while Richard Richardson was serving. Um, apparently, they're still reviewing the footage, and it's an ongoing investigation. But the fan, as Anthony mentioned, um, is banned from all BYU events. Apparently, they uh, the fan also approached uh, the woman, a woman's volleyball player after the match, and apparently made her feel very uncomfortable. Uh, and this was something that you know was also reported in the report um apparently allegedly shouted the guy shouted the uh, the n-word um at richardson from the cougar student section um richardson's also the for for the record is only the only african-american player on the duke uh blue devils volleyball roster so this is a very serious situation that i'm glad is getting the attention that it deserves because we've talked about this numerous numerous times on the show that um this is not sports is not a place for racism for bigotry for hatred for any kind of you know stereotypical uh hate or you know assault in any any regarding of the matter and this is something that byu um could have potentially held uh you know i believe could have done uh more in order to be act quicker and act more decisive and been more um deliberate in their response it is a tough situation because apparently they still couldn't find they're still reviewing the tape to see you know when the alleged incident recurred but from all indications um based on the actions that they took i believe it was the right decision um but yeah this is story but i'm glad to see that you know action was taken um it's just always a very difficult spot when it's you know it is hearsay and you know there's plenty of fans in the crowd the fact that they were able to pick this guy out and um able to identify him so quickly uh shows that how serious of an incident this was yeah also uh i think the biggest thing i've, I've watched the interview um with richardson uh on espn they posted an interview with her just talking about the incident um i think that this is actually uh i mean it, it's it, it's big but also i think one of the biggest things i took from the interview that she did was that people just need to be better educated like educated on um on not life, but on just, I guess, the things that have happened in this world. Uh, because if you're if you're not educated about the things that have happened in this world and the things that you shouldn't be saying um, or the history behind a word or, or history behind an incident that has occurred, then you're uneducated, you're miseducated, which is not right. And I think that uh, there are some people who, um, who are in this era or, or in this world who, who don't, who don't who either don't realize it or they realize it and they just don't care and they think they can do it willy-nilly uh, anywhere they want to um because quote-unquote freedom of speech but even with that freedom of speech there are consequences to what you say and how you say it um so uh one big ups to richardson on the way she took it um and uh we like for all of us on the fools on stools podcast uh we show our love and we send our love to her and the whole entire Duke Blue Devils uh, team. Very well said. Very well said. But <laughs> let's move on on a little bit lighter note. College football is here, and it's now. 
I know that Mr. Walker is 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 excited because his Texas team is gonna be you know rolling on through. I don't think they play this week, or they open up Alabama next week. Yeah, uh, and uh, the official week two. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't got good matchups for you. I mean, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, one of the biggest things I think for, and I just want to kind of preview that real quick. Um, I just feel bad for Kevin. I just feel really, really bad for him. Why? Just because you know my my Alabama roll tide are gonna roll on over. <laughs> I mean, roll, I'm not really that upset. You do have. Over it doesn't really matter who I root for. You're gonna have Texas. an opposing team that you have connection to. But I will say <laughs> Texas does play this week, but they play Louisiana Mon- Monroe. So right, that's true. I mean, the national the the opening. big game Alabama yeah. is not till next weekend. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. But some of the biggest games that are gonna be happening this weekend, week number one. Numero uno is OSU versus Notre Dame, Oregon versus Georgia, Florida versus Utah. Guys, which one are you guys most excited about? Well, so first of all, it's the OSU. Oh, okay. The yeah, do Ohio not get State. that. Don't get that wrong. The Ohio okay. State University okay. versus Notre Dame. T O S U. There. There we go. The Ohio State. Yeah. So the believe it or not, Ohio State actually opened this week. Uh, you know, minus 17 and a half spread over the Notre Dame uh, fighting Irish first year head coach Marcus Freeman um, will be taking his uh, first year starter sophomore quarterback Tyler Buckner ahead against the the highly powered Ohio State offense, of course, led by a uh, potential Heisman favorite CJ Stroud and Ryan Day. Uh, this one is going to be the late night game uh, for those of you listening on the uh, central timeline. I think it's at 630 on ABC, but yeah, Ohio State has a chance to really solidify themselves as one of the top echelon teams in college football, and Notre Dame is a, always a great historic program. They do return a lot of uh, defensive starters on that side of the ball, but uh, opening at a 17.5-point favorite is is no... Uh, <laughs> that's it's a lot. It's, it's not something to sneeze at, that's for sure. No, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, it's as big a game for Notre Dame as it is for Ohio State, in my opinion. I know we all have Ohio State up there, um, you know, in, in probably most case scenarios have them in the top four of the playoffs coming at the end of the year. But um, I think and I think also we could see a little bit of what Notre Dame is to going to bring. I know some people do have Notre Dame in that five spot somewhere hanging around uh, around that four, five spot, six spot. Um, and I think depending on how they play against Ohio State will depend on how how they play in the year. Uh, but for me. I, I mean that is a good matchup. Any any matchup like that to begin the year is a good one. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited for Oregon and Georgia to be honest. Yeah, that I think that's gonna be a really really good game. Uh, I know Georgia is ranked number three coming off that natty, but I think we're gonna see how that defense is gonna go, how is that defense is gonna do. Um, what that receiving core is going to look like missing some of their uh, receivers. And if Stetson Bennett can still sing that, can still sling that thing like, like he was last year. But even more than that, we're getting going to get a good taste of what Oregon's going to be like this year. A lot of people are kind of riding high on Oregon as like a dark horse team, if you will. Um, I think we're going to see what the, what they're about. I think this game, now, and that's the thing about the first week of college football. This could be a slaughterhouse, or this could be a really close matchup. Yeah, yeah, um, true. I, I'm, I don't know. I just, I think either way, I think it's going to be exciting to see if Georgia's going to be as dominant as they were last year, or in, and or if uh, Oregon can put up a fight against uh, big teams. To reiterate that point, Kevin, guess what the spread opened up at? I don't know. Let me say, um, 
I'm hoping it's not 17 and a half because I really debunks everything I just said. But I'm going <laughs> to say probably like a 10 point. You would be correct. It is 17 and a half ah, for the Georgia gosh. Bulldogs. Um, this is the first year for Oregon after head or former head coach, excuse me, Mario Cristobal bolted for the University of Miami. So this will be very interesting to see um, just kind of how the Ducks come out. Obviously, we've talked about them potentially being one of the top teams in the Pac-12, um, a very big powerhouse from the Pacific Northwest. But I think you, I think you laid it right on the money. Georgia being the defending national champion, uh, champion, it's one thing to you know sit there and win the championship and be able to climb the mountain. It's another thing to stay there. And I think that's what Kirby Smart and his squad are going to be looking to do this upcoming season. Uh, obviously, they open up with a pretty tall task in Oregon. But I mean, future down the line, we're going to be talking about this team a lot in the podcast. I feel like with their you know just known known schedule of going up against the SEC foes, whether it's Alabama, LSU, Florida, whomever. And uh, they're definitely going to be a team to watch out for this year. I want to go back to Notre Dame. How much pressure is on Marcus Freeman this week? I, it is pressure, but being that it's a first-year head coach with a first-year starter, uh, I would be shocked if like the general, conse- general consensus is that he should win this game. Um, definitely a very big, high-profile job uh, for Marcus Freeman to take over the Notre Dame head coaching job after Brian Kelly left to co-coach the Louisiana State Tigers down in uh, Louisiana, but it's something that right now it's going to take usually three years before you really see the true identity of someone's team, especially in college with like the recruiting classes and whatnot, uh, really take shape. So ultimately, we're just going to see how, you know, Freeman does, uh, excuse me, coaching in kind of situational spots. You know, is he going to be an aggressive coach on fourth down? Is he going to rely on his defense more than his offense? Etc. So it'll be very interesting from that perspective. But I mean, CJ Stroud and the Ohio State Buckeyes are no easy task for your first game as head coach. <laughs> Absolutely not. So uh, I I don't think there's too much pressure. But I mean, of course, when you're coaching at Notre Dame, there's always going to be pressure, given their legacy. I mean, looking at it, I mean, they I mean, the predictions are like <laughs> insane. It really looks like Ohio State may just bulldoze over them like this game. Potentially. I mean, it could get ugly. Uh, Ohio State's got, you know, championship aspirations and, you know, Notre Dame's no slouch in their own right. But I don't know if they're quite at the level of Ohio State at this stage. Anthony, what about you? What would you what would you say is your top matchup to watch? Well, I mean, I got to go with that Ohio State game because, I mean, just with the pressure that I think that that the media has put on. Oh, Freeman, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I ugh, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, I, I want to say Notre Dame's going to pull it out, but. You know, we'll just have to see because I mean, like you said, you know, it's it's a new roster, you know, a uh, new head coach, you know, who's really getting his feet wet. But I mean, Ohio just knows how to, they just know how to play, especially with CJ Stroud, who potentially could be a Heisman Trophy winner. Mm-hmm. Um, that is going to be an elite game. But I mean, we'll, we'll just have to see. But moving on with Heisman. Here, hold on, no, no, because no. I want. There's one more game that I wanted to talk about. Do we have to bring up that game? Yeah, because I think Utah has a damn good chance of making the Final Four this year. Okay, fine. All right, fine. Florida, Florida versus Utah. Utah being one of the more underrated defenses in the country, going up against a. I know we're gonna get to Heisman, but Anthony Richardson from Florida could be a dark horse candidate for some people. I mean, his name is Anthony, so I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the man, you know, put the ball in the air 64 times a year ago, completing 59.4% of his passes, compiling 930 total yards of offense. You might be sitting there thinking, Colin, that's not really overly impressive. I mean, 
you know, what's this guy uh, going to potentially bring to the table? This guy is an elite level athlete. He's got the arm to match. He's coming in with a Florida uh, Florida system that is getting, admittedly, their first year head coach in Billy uh, Napier, who came over from, I believe it was Cincinnati, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think this is going to completely change this program. Obviously, uh, in my lifetime, I, I when you whenever I think of Florida, I think of Tim Tebow back in the days, those two national championship years. Um, and that kind of historic rise, and really ever since then, Florida's been, I mean, competitive in the SEC, don't get me wrong, and that is that is to be respected, but they haven't quite lived up to the level uh, in years past, and Anthony Richardson could be one of those quarterbacks that could really change a program's trajectory, and I'm very interested to see how he looks against a Utah team that honestly might be the most complete team in the Pac-12. We already talked about Oregon and what they could potentially do. Do not sleep on the Utah Utes. Yeah, Utah's going to come in hot. It's kinda, yeah, like Utah's going to come in really hot. But, but I, I kind of want to talk about, um, just real quick, just what's y'all's prediction on who is going to have the best success this year as a first-year head coach? You know, we have... You know, Ooh, we that's have, a good question, really. Notre Dame, mm-hmm. we have USC, Lincoln yep. Riley, yep. Uh, LSU, Brian Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know, out of those... Marcus Miami. Freeman, Notre Dame, Mario Cristobal, Miami. Yep. <sighs> that's tough. That uh, is a tough question. I think I'm going to start off. I think I'm going to say Marcus Freeman just because he's okay, been okay. in that Notre Dame system already. Yeah. He already has all the players' respect. And after what happened to them uh, with with, uh, with with their coach leaving, the long-time Notre Dame coach leaving, and you know how that all just abruptly happened, and then he already has the players' side. I mean, he loves the players. The players love him. It's very mutual uh, understanding. They were happy whenever he got the job. Um He's been in the Notre Dame system for a while. Um, defensive minded. I mean, I think he, I think depending, I think depend the depending factor for how Notre Dame plays this year is going to be on how Marcus Freeman will do. And if they're very successful, a lot of it is going to be because of him and how he's been able to come in with this, with this culture that Notre Dame has always had. Right. Fit in. Have the players respect as a first-year head coach, and see what they can do. And I think from there they can just build on. Um, I think I think he could be a really high-running candidate for that. So I'll go next in this one. I'm going to go with Lincoln Riley at USC. Yeah. Um, Lincoln Riley. In case you don't know, uh, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts. What do all three of those names have in common? They are currently NFL quarterbacks who played under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. The, this guy is probably the easily, I, I think easily, without a doubt, the best offensive mind in college football. He goes over to USC. He brings over Caleb Williams, his uh, quarterback from last year at the University of Oklahoma. He goes over to USC, enters a whole new level of recruiting database over there in the state of California from where he was he was at in Oklahoma. In a Pac-12 who, listen, I love Utah, and Kevin, we already talked about Oregon. USC is no slouch either, and especially yeah. with this guy at the helm, Caleb Williams, at least familiar with how Lincoln Riley likes to operate. They're not going to be quite the level of the top-level teams, but in terms of first-level success, if you're asking me to bank on anybody, I'm going to go with the guy who not only, yes, I trust him offensively and I trust what he'll do schematically, but also the the fact the quarterback that he's bringing over last year. Superman, uh, they call him. Yeah, Caleb Williams. So. I'm 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 a big believer in USC this upcoming season. And and I understand that. I can I can I can get where you're coming from on that aspect. I just don't think that he has the immediate love from the players. And and obviously this is all coming from an outside voice. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but they also don't have Now they have high recruits, don't get me wrong. They got guys, but 
they don't have the upper echelon of the five star, four star stars as your top fours, mm-hmm. your top five, top, you know, whatever's. They will get them though. Yeah, yeah. and then that brings me to my next point. Depending on how they do this year, will depend on how many players flock to USC for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they're LSU, coming. Excuse me, but USC. I mean, I mean, when USC's balling out, you know, it's it's always good for college football. Mm-hmm. And I think that having Caleb Williams there, um, he's not. He's not drafted eligible. No, no, no. He's not this year. year. He will be next year uh, because of the transfer rule. And I think he's, uh, yeah, because he's, I think he's a junior technically or a sophomore redshirt, one of the two. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he's not drafted eligible this year. He will be this next upcoming season. So he could easily be the number one player uh, in next, not this upcoming draft class, but the draft class after for sure. Yeah. And and, and I think that having him there, I think, like you said, it's going to bring in a lot of recruits. a lot of offensive uh, firepower for USC, which is going to be huge for them. Uh, and, and, and that was actually going to be my pick, was going to be uh, Lincoln Riley and um, Caleb Williams out in USC. I just think they have a, a great scheme. They have a great uh, chemistry already as head coach and quarterback. And uh, we'll just see what, what happens. But there was some shakeup in uh, Dublin, Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> Wasn't there? You know, between A little bit. Between two fantastic teams and one team just... Came out and just destroyed, not not destroyed them, but no, well, there was no destroying. Well, it, let's let's put it this way: Do we want to start with the good, or we want to start with the bad? Let's start with the bad, and then we'll work our way up. Okay, so the bad is Scott Frost cannot catch a break. He is now <laughs> five and twenty-one in one-score games as the head coach of Nebraska. Nebraska is the first Power Five team in the nation to lose nine consecutive one postseason games. Excuse me, since 2014-2016. Last season, Nebraska lost eight of the nine games that they uh, had between one possession. Um, in the last win for Nebraska in a one-possession game, led by Frost, came in the 2020 regular season finale against Rutgers. I mean, Scott Frost, he was a big hire for them. Nebraska traditionally is one of the bigger programs in college football. They have not been, at least in my lifetime, and I've lived for a good <laughs> amount of long time. So I, they haven't been good for a long time. I and, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott Frost just can't seem to right the ship over there. Uh, and it just really seemed heartbreaking. I mean, the because they have the Texas quarterback, uh, Thompson, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I can't remember his first name for the Casey life. Thompson. Casey Thompson. I would, I would know. There you go. That's why I was looking over to you, Kevin. But I mean, he's a he's a good he's a good quarterback. Yeah, and he shows some some really big athleticism. He's got a big arm. He can move. Uh, he can definitely throw the deep ball. I mean, he's not as consistently accurate as you'd like, but he's definitely a Division One level quarterback. And even then, I just thought that it could be a really good statement win for them to get that win against Northwestern. And ultimately, they weren't able to get the job done. Yeah, I was watching that game. I, I was actually practicing. Um, like play by play in color for um for a for a Friday game for high school and uh it was just it was just crazy I mean the running game was insane on both sides um I think it was just that last play I mean when he threw the interception it was just like why are you throwing the ball like come come on now like like it was it was just a bunch of back and forth and it kind of reminded me of um of the game that we covered uh that Friday which was which was a very close game just like how the Nebraska game went. Um, but yeah, he just can't get a break, man. Like he, he just he just can't get a break. I mean, that game was intense, but I mean, Nebraska. Oh boy, ah, hmm. praying for them. Like like seriously. Well, I mean, I I know he threw it two interceptions. Speaking on Casey Thompson, but I mean, both sides of the both teams threw the ball a ton in this game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I'm not gonna flaunt the fact that Thompson threw 355 yards, but he. 
he did throw the ball 42 times. So I guess it's kind of expected with that. And maybe that's how this Nebraska offense is going to operate all year. Um, but I think Northwestern being able to, to, I don't, I guess I can't say come in there and get the dub because neither team are really home, but, um, they were the, uh, they were the, the underdog of the game. So I guess to kind of get football season going, it's, it's pretty nice to see, um, an underdog win, uh, in a close game, but, uh, yeah, Nebraska's just got to do better and you cannot, why people make mistakes on special teams i don't understand you literally have time to think about what you're going to do that's true but, but there was there was some good that came out there of was game. a lot of good that came out of it including if i may jump to it of course including a beer snake um now if you're a big fan of sports which if you're listening to this then you more than likely are um then you've seen multiple sporting events have beer snakes and if you don't know what that is just look it up it's simple um, a lot of people drink a lot of beers. You get the the vibes are going pretty great. You meet some new people, and you start collecting all the empty cups and making what is known as a beer snake. Well, playing over in Dublin, uh, they the internet went down, and so all beer was free. Now, Colin, you <laughs> Colin and Anthony, both of y'all are old enough to drink. I am not. If you went to a college football game and you found out that beer was free. Um, if I had any keys on me, I might as well just leave them at the stadium. Oh yeah, you I mean you might as well. It's, Very much. You so. might as well get that Uber ready. Yeah, no, this yeah, is yeah, for sure. This uh, well, and the fact that it's Dublin, Ireland, it's such a freaking Irish thing to do. It's I mean, it's Dublin, it, Dublin, Dublin, Ireland. It doesn't make any sense, but at the same time, it makes so much sense. Yes, first I, college football game. Yeah, and we got free beer. Yeah, I mean that's uh, there's not many it doesn't get better than that. There's not many close trades you can make for losing Wi-Fi at the game or losing internet, but it's like, beer. hey, I can't get on Twitter, but hey, got free beer. Yeah, it's true, and it's it, I think it was a great move by the stadium, but great move by everyone who's in charge. Obviously, you know when you want to drink responsibly, but yeah, great. Think move about the it. social media clout to that stadium. Just the stadium alone. Mm. Oh got yeah, it. yeah, they definitely earned some uh, respect some over lines. here. Yeah, no, no, I mean. Might be something that other college stadiums need to look into. I mean, they have billions and billions and billions of dollars. So I mean, you know, maybe yeah. maybe they could look into it, gain a little bit of clout, free beer Saturday. I'm about to say maybe yep. some beer was poured into the Gatorade for Nebraska. You know, maybe, maybe, hey, <laughs> that is so wrong. maybe <laughs> that is so wrong. Maybe Coach Frost. I don't know, man. I don't know that. Maybe there's a little bit of investigating needs to be done in that. Maybe. Do you, do you guys think that every first game, like if it's like at home, like they should just do that, they, like do a beer snake? I think for like the game, because I mean, all teams have like their their crap game, you know, the game where yeah. they either, if you're a really good team like Alabama, you pay a school to come in and play, or uh, if you're on like the home, other, yeah, if you're on the other side, then yeah, I was you, gonna say like for homecoming and stuff too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I mean, that. you really want to rack up those sta those stadiums being being full, F free alcohol that'll <laughs> do it Facts. for sure, for sure. Um, but getting back to what I said. The beer snake that they made at that game was insane. I don't know if y'all saw it. It was insane. It was stretched over so many aisles. They were actually trying to get it up to go above the next I saw to that. the next deck. I saw yeah. that. That was crazy. It was. And then it like broke. <laughs> it's kind of awesome to see all these minds well, come I, together. That's what I'm, I was about to say. So whenever you're using a beer snake, it's not just like one or two people. Oh like no, this is like rows. And rows of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a process that everybody has dropped everything that they're doing to, like, okay, 
This is my new objective. Yeah. I came here to watch football, but this is my new, this is my job right now. And then when you involve other sections who don't necessarily know what's going on, I mean, they see what's going on, but they, they don't necessarily know the physics of what's going on, especially in your, and let's call it an inebriated state. Like it's, and they could become, com you, they could speak and a language you don't even know, but all you know is that, hey, this cup goes into this cup and we've got to get this done. I mean, hey, we, we saw it first. International fans know how to get down. So. Oh, yeah. I, I think safe to say it's a universal language. It's the language of beer. I think <laughs> language of beer. Uh, that's language definitely of beer. yeah. Uh, but I think we'll definitely have another uh, oh, out yeah. of U.S. college football game. I think there may be a little competition thing going around the stadiums this year. I think colleges. if that is something that came out of this, I think that's awesome. Yep. Because yep. I guarantee you, if UNC said, "Hey, free beer for whatever." That stadium would be so packed so fast. Mm -hmm. For sure. People are going to be standing. 100%. <laughs> yeah, but there's also another competition that's going to be happening very, very soon. It's actually already started. Uh, the Heisman Trophy competition. See who's going to win. On the NFL Network or NFL.com, there is predictions. This is probably on almost every single sports website. I got, the, I got the odds if you want me to. Get it, go into it. I mean, I have some odds, too. Oh, you got odds on the NFL Network? They yeah. have odds on that? Yeah, it's, it's, wow. it's on NFL.com, the odds oh. for Heisman. Okay. You, you go with yours, and I'll go with mine. Okay, we'll see what they say. Yeah. Right. You want me to go first? You go first. Okay. Brought it up. All so, right. so, I'll, so I'm just going to go with the top three. Okay. Okay? That's so fine. they have Caleb Williams at three. They have CJ Stroud at number two, and they have Bryce Young at one winning the well, whole thing. Well, what are the odds? The odds? Yeah. I don't think they have the odds. Okay, that's so. what I was <laughs> I that's was going I was, by ranking. I, well, you said predictions. And I was like, okay, that's predictions. But like, what are the actual like odds makers saying? That's what I was confused about. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think NFL's like that. So right so I so Caleb Williams is plus seven hundred. He's three. Okay. Bryce Young's two at plus three eighty, and CJ Stroud's at plus twenty. Wow. Two twenty two hundred twenty, and Bryce Young led this entire offseason in potentially being the favorite. But those are the three favorites for the Heisman Trophy this season. Who do we who do we think? Well, I do have a quick question. Um, no. No bias. Um, uh -oh. Very clear. No bias. Uh, just wondering, where was um, Austin Ani and Quinn Ewers on that list? Uh, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you a better question. Who do you think was higher, Quinn Ewers or Bijan Robinson? Oh, that's a tough. One. Definitely, I would definitely say Bijan Robinson. I, if I had to guess, I would say Bijan Robinson is probably top ten. Well, Bijan Robinson is. I'll say top. Five. He he's top five. He top is, five. Okay, good. He's plus twenty two hundred. Whereas Quinn Ewers is further down in, let's see, that's eighth at plus 3,500. He's tied with Travion uh, Henderson at Ohio State. Uh, Austin Ani can't seem to find him on this list, and this list goes pretty far. It's okay. So. It, you know what? We got an entire season. It's yeah, fine. we do. We do. But he, he did win Player of the Week, so he's, yeah. he's there. But CUSA off the Player of the Week. But yeah, who is y'all's pick if y'all had to pick today? Because this is the beginning of college football. I know we just had Week Zero last week, but if y'all had to pick today, who is y'all's pick? For the Heisman Trophy winner, you know what? I'm gonna have to go with Kevin on this one, man. I, I'm, I'm I, didn't, to, I didn't make a prediction. I know, but, I, but, but I'm gonna have to go on his side a little bit because you know, I just think that I think Bijan Robinson could win this. Okay, like You're I going really, I really do think that he could okay. win this because I mean, and, and I'm not trying to compare players, but well, that's kind of what this is. But very true. <laughs> but like, but like, remember Derrick Henry and how <sighs> a, much of a monster he was? Oh yeah. I'm not saying, and, and I've watched a little bit of, of B.J. Robinson, um, but, like, I just think that he could be a monster this year mm -hmm. and really shake things up, like, really shake things up. Okay. He, 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 he could be in that top three. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so serious. I, I really do think that Bijan Robinson has a high possibility of winning the Heisman this year. Okay. Kevin? So you said you've watched a little bit of Robinson. I've watched an entire season of Bijan Robinson. I, I, I know. I, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna take him as well, but I do think the C.J. Stroud and, and Heisman to put— First off, to predict a Heisman <laughs> to predict a Heisman winner before the first actual week of college football has even happened is kind of insane to do anyway. But um, just based off of what I saw last season, um, I think I think Bijan Robinson could absolutely do it. Um, he's a beast. He's elusive. He can do anything to get open. Um, he can basically miss the first first tackle on every grab, on every catch, on every handoff, whatever. Um, and he's just he is he's just so dominant and um and just amazed he's a human joystick so i'll be the non-texas fan in this room apparently not texas but uh no listen i love Bijan robinson he's the best running back in college football there's no denying that but i think it's a quarterback based award and i don't think bryce young will win it just because he won it last year and they the 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 media tends to not do back-to-back with heisman's Caleb Williams at USC, I just don't think they'll win quite as many games or win the Pac-12 to kind of qualify, although he would be a pretty good bet for me. Listen, there's a reason this guy's the favorite. It's C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Yeah. With uh, potentially the number one wide receiver, Jackson Smith. uh, I can't pronounce his last name, so I apologize. uh, Igbia. uh, Jackson Smith Igbia as potentially the number one wide receiver in the country. C.J. Stroud, Ryan Day. I mean, that Ohio State offense is going to put up numbers. I think they're making it to the national championship game. I think they're winning the Big Ten. I think he's going to put up a lot of numbers and be in the discussion for the number one overall pick in this upcoming draft. I'm going with CJ Stroud at Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, that's understandable. So, but I know we got to move on. Anthony, why don't you take us away? Well, you know, he's back, ladies and gentlemen. He is back. Clayton Kershaw is back, baby. He has been out since, I believe, August 5th with some lower back pain. And now he's back, ready to go against the, well, with the Dodgers. And I know Tyler, he's, he's, he's very happy. He, yeah. he must be a very happy Tyler. Yeah. Well, yeah. he. I was talking to him yesterday, and he said that he'd be shocked if the Dodgers even won one game, which is the injuries that they had and, the you know, not the star power pitching that he had. They got the win last night. They got another game coming up tonight. And as you mentioned, uh, Kershaw set to return on Thursday to rejoin the rotation. Needless to say, they are going to continue to win. Yeah. I mean, they've got the number one record in all the Major League Baseball right now. You would hope so. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> w- when we talked about our predictions at the beginning of the year, we all consensusly had the Dodgers ranked as the number one team in Major League Baseball, and they're showing why. Uh, they're deep as you know what. They they are without Walker Bueller for uh, the rest of the season after his injury. And they're still deep. They've still got plenty of pitchers. They've got still plenty of talent. They have prospects. Yeah. They can just... Everything. And they're ready to go deep into October and capture another championship for the City of Angels. And I, it's hard to say another team could potentially dethrone them, especially in the National League. The Mets, if anybody, they got to show they got to show their stuff if they're going to you know, potentially compete with this team later in the year. So I don't know if y'all saw it. I believe it was on ESPN or Bleacher Report or one of those... Um, uh, one of their social media accounts. So there was a fan at a baseball game, and he was wearing an Aaron Judge jersey, but it was a Mets jersey. Yes, I did see this. So, wait, what is that? How does that? You said a Judge jersey. But yeah, it he, he, he wore it was mm-hmm. an, it was the same number, same same name. It was a Mets jersey, but it had Aaron Judge's number and last name on it. That's disrespectful. Well, <laughs> is it? Is it like how do you take that? Because like New York, New York, they're like. Yeah. Direct rivals. Well, I, That's you know, just mean, man. Well, Kevin, it's 
fan is short for fanatic, and people in New York, they love their teams, and they can dream all they want to. Because Judge is a technically free agent, potentially, coming up after this offseason. Maybe they're trying a little recruitment tactics. I don't know. But I, I guess. It's, I it, sense tampering. Yeah. <laughs> tampering. It, we'll, have, we'll have to check those guys' uh, employment histories. Yeah, see, they, uh, yes. MLB's uh, gonna if they have any them. connection MLB's or anything. going to get them. <laughs> but, yeah, I just... To me, the Mets, they've been a really great team. Um, I know the, they're still technically competing in their division with yeah. the Atlanta Braves to hold them off. Um, but it looks like, but barring anything happening the, this back half of uh, the season, the Mets will potentially be the number two seed and also receive a bye uh, in the Major League Baseball playoffs along with the Dodgers. Um, I, I really do believe that these are the two best teams in the National League. And ultimately, the Mets have really got to show us something in this last month of the season before I really start buying that they could hang with the Dodgers. So yeah, that, yeah, I, I agree. Sorry. No, you're good. So how do you guys think he's going to play? Kershaw. Uh, Kershaw? Yeah. I, I, I think, think he'll be fine. I think he'll, he's not quite the level of player that he used to be, but I still think he can produce at a high level, and in big spots, he can still bring out some of, you know, that Clayton Kershaw magic that, you know, made him one of the best pitchers of our generation, if not the best. And I think he's going to be something that the Dodgers don't even necessarily need, but they're happy to have him back. Yeah, I mean, they, like, like, like you said, you know, they do play, they do play against the, the New York Mets today, which is very exciting. And um, give me your prediction on on this game because they they already won a game yesterday or the the uh, the, uh, the other day. Well, I mean, it's it's it, what about the series? Let's do that. So the last two games of the series because they're yeah. a three game series. I think I think the Dodgers take it two to one. And I think they firmly okay. cement themselves as the uh, favorite in the National League. Because I think they probably, they might lose tonight, but with Kershaw coming back, I think they win Kershaw's start. And, you know, they take the series 2-1, to one and yeah, I think they're smooth sailing from there. Yeah. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that the Yankees are trying to bring themselves back into the upper echelon of the baseball um, power rankings, if you will. Um and then we're going to talk about the Astros here in a little bit. But they've just kind of been on a little bit of a low since uh, since the All-Star break. So, I mean, we were talking about the Dodgers, but, I mean, we can go talk to the Yankees if you want to. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, it's, it's fine. Man. I'm just— I mean, yeah, no, he, he wants to talk about the American League. Let's get to it. No, I mean, yeah, but the main person I want to talk about is Aaron Judge. Yeah, of course. So— I mean, I was going to transition to that. I did it for you. Gun. It's when, okay. when, when a player has 51 home runs and this this in, in this part of the season, it's kind of hard not to talk about it, man. I mean, this is baseball. This is a sport that doesn't get much love. That's very true. That's so very true, Kevin. It's, it, whenever it happens, you got to talk about it. 100%. That's very, very true. You want to talk about it? I mean, I'm talking about it right now. What are y'all's opinions on it? I mean, it's... <laughs> You got you got to hit the nail on the head right there, I, buddy. I mean, yeah. Look, it, it, the fifty one like, that, like uh, the curse doesn't of, just happen like that. The curse of the Joey Gallo trade, out of all <laughs> people. Um, ever since then, it just seems like the Yankees haven't quite been themselves. And for a guy who really wasn't hitting well when he was in the Bronx, uh, Gallo seems to really find his groove in you know Los Angeles with the Dodgers. And the Yankees, Garrett Cole hasn't been the same pitcher uh, consistently as he normally is. Obviously, we talked about Judge hitting fifty one homers, but. You know, on the other side of it, Houston with Justin Verlander, who's being sent to the 15-day IL with a calf injury, he is expected to be ready for the postseason. Excuse me. Um, I'm not even sure if the Yankees should be the favorite in the American League anymore. I, I'm really liking this Houston team. 
uh, you know, respectfully as a Mariners fan. Yeah, um, yeah of course. Uh, but, you know, the Houston Astros should be the favorite, betting favorite in the American League to potentially uh, make it to the World Series. And I, they've been the most consistent team all year. They've really seemed to hit their stride in this back half of the season. And the Yankees, they really need to find themselves because it seems like unless Judge is really hitting and he's on his stuff, that they may or may not be at a disadvantage when it comes to playing these other teams. Yeah, I think I think that's important to important to note. Uh, it's just we we're about we're about you know entering the we're about to enter the final month of the regular season. Things are about to get really interesting. Teams are going to make it. Teams are going to not make it. Um, you know, teams to watch out for are going to be the Orioles, especially. I mean, the Orioles and the word postseason haven't combined for a long. Long time. Who are you telling? So who uh, are you telling, Kevin? <laughs> Whoever's an Orioles fan, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm saying you're talking about postseason and not having it for a long time. Who are you telling, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> who are you telling? You have to have it to not. You have to have it at first to not have it for a while. I, I, I'm the only reason I'm letting that slide is because the entire time he's been born, he hasn't seen what he should be should have seen by now. But we'll we'll let it slide because I'm not talking about it today. But yeah, I think the American League definitely has the best shot of a wild card team potentially upsetting the top too i really think the toronto blue jays especially on paper oh, yeah. could be a team that could really upset anybody um in the american league if they're not careful uh still have vladimir guerrero jr still have Bo Bichette, uh still have springer excuse me and are able to go with their pitching lineup three four deep and be legitimate about it so uh definitely think the american league is going to be more up for grabs but uh we'll have to wait and see because there's still a lot of chance that whoever's going to even win the central is going to be not decided yet um because we still have a long time to go before the end of the season so be yeah. very interesting to see so what team do you think is going to really kind of surprise everybody that like kind of like your oh my gosh didn't see them coming out of nowhere like they just came out of nowhere by the end of the season to, to like make the playoffs or yeah make the playoffs <sighs> I mean, you can't, you can't really say the Orioles because everybody's kind of been watching them here and there the entire year because they've been basically floating above 500. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin, do you have any? I mean, it, it's tough when you say the word surprise because at this point we kind of already know, like, who to expect. Yeah. I will say one team that's not quite getting the love that they should be is the Rays over in Tampa. Um, they were in the World Series not too long ago, ultimately coming up short against the Dodgers, believe it or not. Um, they're still a really well-coached ball club. Um, they definitely have some pieces there that could, you know, make it interesting in the wild-card round. But I think they still hold the current uh, top wild-card spot, so they would be potentially uh, in that first-round matchup against, you know, the AL Central division winner. So I, I'll give them credit. But, yeah, I, I think for me personally, I, I, I'm more interested in the Blue Jays personally, but that's just – that's not really a surprise. Like before the season, we had them as a top five team consensus, consensually. Yeah, in the top five. I I think another team is not really a surprise because we knew they were stacked. I guess we just didn't really know how stacked they were going to be. But the Atlanta Braves without Freddie Freeman, I don't. I guess that's me, a shout. me and huh? I said that's a shout. Like that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I guess after they lost Freeman, who appeared was the heart and soul of that team. Um, they didn't have Ronald Acuna, and we didn't know if he was going to come back the same. Most, I mean, I guess some people were riding high on the Braves this year, but um, I guess coming into the season, I was questionable on them just to see how dominant they were going to be able to be. Um, it's almost as if they didn't skip a beat. They're playing amazing. They yeah. have been all year. So I wouldn't, I mean, like kind of like Colin said, we're, we've been watching, so we know that they're not a surprise team necessarily, but 
it's a surprise uh, to me anyway how how successful they've been able to be this year. They're three games behind the Mets yep. in the uh, NL East, so they're definitely. It, it is hard losing Freddie Freeman, but it is also, you know, makes it not as hard whenever you, you know, trade for a fellow all-star in Matt Olson. And you I will say. just won a championship. Too, that that so. too. So they got that pedigree in them. Yeah, of course. Now, moving on to the topic that Anthony... Anthony, you're well-versed on this, right? Formula One? Vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> he speaks car. <laughs> Gas. Mileage and all tires. gas, no brakes. Yep, that's it. Anthony Council. Yep. Well, <laughs> <That's> me, Steve <laughs> Sarkeesian. But yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever Sorry, I say. had to. I know you did. Um. Anyways, the Formula One r- drivers, teams, everybody return to the Netherlands. The Dutch Grand Prix is the second of three races on the balance for Formula One after the summer break. Max Verstappen gets home advantage as he technically raced under the Dutch flag, even though he was born in Belgium. A little interesting fact that, you know, you may or may not have known there. Uh, is the current betting favorite uh, to win the Dutch Grand Prix, uh, with Charles Leclerc being second, is teammate uh, Max's teammate Sergio Perez in third. Kevin, what are your main thoughts going into the Dutch Grand Prix weekend? It is no surprise to me that he's the betting favorite. Whenever you start, correct me if I'm wrong, 15th he started 14th 14th and uh in spa and you come back and you win it and you were in first place by like lap 14 15 yeah he was well and the safety car did help him but he it was the furthest he had uh come back from um you know back that far in the grid to win a race in his career so even max is uh you know exceeding his own expectations yeah and i i like i said makes all the much sense for him to be the betting favorite it's just it's crazy how good he is, um, but yeah, I'm 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 excited to see how it's gonna go. Um, for me personally, this was this uh, last week in Spa was not uh, McLaren's week. Um, with all these rumors going around, that's probably having to do something with the with the team rapport and the uh, the and everything going on over there. But um, Lando had some engine issues. Um, Ricardo was doing pretty good. Um, lost some spots, so McLaren didn't do too good. Hoping we can have a little bit of a bounce bounce back weekend, but overall, I'm just interested to see if Ferrari can make good decisions. I guess. Yeah, it just seems like they just cannot stop, no matter what, of uh, getting in their own way. It's like even when they're simply just so ask, sad. They're asking Charles over the radio, "Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this?" It shows <laughs> the level of insecurity. That the race strategist, who that's their job, you know what, is to make those calls. It's kind of like <laughs> now I'm not I'm gonna make a baseball reference here. It's kind of like they're the Angels. Yeah, a little cursed franchise, also a little bit of red. I see where you're going. I mean, not only that, but you have and you have. I mean, I guess All Star wouldn't be the correct term for Formula One. You, you know what they actually kind of remind me because the thing is the Angels aren't historically as historically great as okay. Ferrari. Okay, I'm just kind of thinking as far as having amazing talent and wasting it. And Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, for that matter. Well, I mean, to be fair, they've had plenty of other talented drivers in the past, such as Sebastian Vettel, uh, Kimi Raikkonen, um, that didn't, you know, achieve everything that they thought they would achieve. Uh, Vettel actually never winning a championship for the Scuderia. Uh, Raikkonen did win one back in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so Ferrari's had talented cars. They're usually always towards the upper front of the field or at bare minimum the front of the midfield. 
But yeah, Ferrari just seems like they cannot get out of their own way, and it's caused Max to basically be a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the world championship driver for 2022. Well, yeah, because because Ferrari has the only car that really stands a legitimate right. chance to right. beat that Red Bull, and it's like they're not doing it. Yeah, and I mean the thing is, is I and I've said this once, and I'll say it again: Ferrari in the corners and getting in and out of corners is the faster race car. Red Bull on the straights is the fastest car on track like down the straightaway no one can touch them and you know in a circuit like the dutch grand prix i know kevin you haven't probably seen uh a dutch grand prix before it's very a lot of turns it's very technical it should be a track that ferrari exceeds at um but red bull at the same time like i just trust them more in this spot than ferrari does so i mean if i'm a betting man i'm taking max verstappen here yeah i mean it's just like you said they can't get they can't stop getting out of their own way um, it's so upsetting to see because, I mean, Charles is so talented and Carlos signs for that. Like I said, he can be talented too. And he can, I mean, with the legitimate chance to win a championship with the right decisions, they could. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're not going to have any competition whenever you're Max Verstappen and you're able to move from 14th all the way to first place within 15 laps. Yeah. I mean, I guess who who is to compete other than Sergio Perez? Yeah, and I mean, Checo even then finished, I think it was 18 seconds off the pace um, at the end of the Belgian Grand Prix, and it just it wasn't close. I mean, they're they're essentially driving the same car, and it doesn't matter. Like, Max is just his confidence, his ability. There's not a single racetrack that he, I don't feel confident in him in if I'm a Red Bull fan, so... Uh, going forward, I, I think we expect more of the same. Like I said, it wouldn't shock me if he breaks the race win record for a season this year. Yeah. Um, I think Sebastian Vettel holds the record at 13, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, Max is well on his way after his performance at Spa, and I think he'll see more of the same at the Dutch Grand Prix. But there is, you did mention McLaren a little bit. Um, Alpine McLaren Piastri hearing starts over the dispute of their contract and everything. As a McLaren fan... Uh, I kind of wanted you to talk about this a little more since we're about to probably get some resolution. I mean, we know Daniel's not going to be in the seat for 2023. Um, Piastri is looking to potentially move into that seat from all rumors and everything that has been speculated. What is your thoughts going ahead uh, before this hearing starts? So I know, so actually my first thing is I want to ask you, what do you mean by hearing? So basically what happened is, is like, because uh, Piastri... Is it like tampering uh, well, issues or no? So what it is is there's a contract and there's payments that Piastri's accepted from Alpine with the thought that Alpine paid him, given that they thought he was going to be like their next driver coming in, and especially with Fernando Alonso moving to Aston Martin, uh, there's certain payments that Piastri took um, and certain you know practice times and everything and certain money that they've invested. So they're basically going to hearing to right the wrong of. Um, Piastri accumulating all this money and then also like what the information was McLaren if McLaren can also pay them uh potentially because when you train a driver and he goes through like all the testing time and you um all the wear and tear on an engine and everything that costs money and so they're looking for McLaren as being Piastri's assumedly next team to kind of give them some payback for you know hey we've invested all this time in their junior driver now you're stealing them from us no we want compensation from that so that's kind of what this hearing is mainly about is, is of course, with everything in life or a lot of things in life, it's money. It's always down to the money. So it's kind of like just, hey, give us our money back and yeah. we'll let you go. It's not even our money back. It's just our money that we spend on your driver. So that's essentially what it is. Interesting. That's a very interesting situation. 
I would just say that, I mean, I know we know that Piastri's this phenomenal driver, but right. what do we know about him personality-wise? Uh, I mean, listen, he's you know he's a fiery competitor. He obviously has won three championships in the quote-unquote minor leagues for Formula One. Of uh, he won in Formula Renault, Formula Three, and then Formula Two. Obviously, before sitting out this current season that we're on, so he's a very talented driver. He's done something like he's that level of prospect of like a George Russell, uh, Charles Leclerc. I think there's another one that I'm forgetting off the top of my head that like came into the sport and you instantly knew they're going to be a game changer. So like, don't get me wrong. McLaren's, if it is true that he's signed with them, is getting a blue chip prospect. The only question that really seems to matter is, is, you know, when they make it official and, you know, working out the contract details with not only Daniel, but Oscar himself. Yeah, true. I guess as a McLaren fan, I'm just... Not necessarily worried, but yeah, just wanting to see how this all works out and to see if him and Lando are going to be able to fit in. Because it's no question, however Daniel, uh, however Danny Rick performed on the track, yeah, that him and Lando loved being around each other and everything. So I just I'm interested to see how that goes. Do you want me to blow your mind real quick before we switch gears? Please do. Okay, so. Oscar Piastri's manager is a guy named Mark Webber. Mark, okay. Mark Webber is also an Australian driver who used to drive in Formula One. He drove, he was the second seat in the Red Bull chair whenever Sebastian Vettel was winning his four world championships. Okay. He's a very accomplished driver. He's won multiple races in Formula One, a very successful Australian driver. He retires from Formula One and who takes his seat? Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo at Red Bull, then he moves over. Um, Daniel obviously has his career and everything. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, uh, he takes time off from his career after he retires, and he then represents Piastri, Piastri also being Australian. And now that Daniel Ricciardo is getting the boot from McLaren, who is, you know, to be potentially moving Danny Rick out of McLaren, other than Oscar Piastri and Mark Webber. It's just funny how that Aussie kind of triangle works and how Piastri might be the beneficiary of it. Okay, yeah, my mind's blown. That was, all right, That's that's that was not what little, I was expecting. little Aussie triangle. You. So maybe Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, so, oi, oi. <laughs> so maybe so maybe Piastri did agree with yeah. Alpine, and then you said his last Mark Webber's had his eye on he's Daniel like, Ricardo. Nah. For he's the like, we, time. he's like, I got a revenge. <laughs> he's like, I got a revenge story. I need to finish. Yeah, you're, you're coming to McLaren. Basically, a decade in the making. Yeah, he's like, no, we're yeah. going orange. But that's a lot of Formula One, Anthony. We appreciate you as always letting us kind of get in our soapbox there. But I know you, you got something that you really wanted to talk about and something that we needed to talk about because we haven't given enough publicity. You want to... I mean, wanna... I mean you kind of already brought it up with the color orange. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I, I should have said papaya, but yeah, orange. Orange nevertheless. Papaya. Papaya is the official color for McLaren. It's like a shade of orange. Oh. The papaya. 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 I, I like papaya. Papaya sounds delicious. Anyways. Papaya. Sorry. <laughs> uh, also, I kind of just like the word. But the WNBA playoffs are taking under. They're going on, maybe not right now, but they are going on as we speak. And the Chicago Sky face the Connecticut Sun and the Seattle, not your Supersonics, I'm, I'm sorry, but the Seattle Storm yes, sir. are facing the Las Vegas Aces. An interesting thing about both these teams, both of them finished one and two in the regular season. Um, with the Las Vegas Aces uh, really destroying, not everybody, but going 26 and 10, as well as the Chicago Sky also, um, which is very interesting. But the WNBA playoffs are underway and a kind of a, a shocker of a loss for the, the Aces um, with the Seattle Storm taking win number one. 
in the semifinals. I'm sure Cullen is happy about that um, with Sue Bird, um, the point god. Sue Bird. And the Connecticut Sun taking the win over the uh, try, uh, over the defending champs, uh, Chicago Sky with Candace Parker, which I'm kind of, which I was kind of shocked because I'm I was kind of surprised because I'm I, I've seen the Chicago Sky play, and they've been one of the best, one of the most elite teams in this season, honestly. Yeah, no, listen, I mean you hit the nail right on the coffin. Seattle Storm with Super, 12 assists, no turnovers, uh, you know, emotional leader. You know, the the longstanding uh, veteran leader, Super, leading this uh, group, Seattle, who, again, is not the favorite by any means. Las Vegas has been one of the com- more complete teams from start to finish uh, in this WNBA season. And they also relied on guard uh, Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart, uh, back-to-back top picks by the Storm in 2015 and 2016, respectively. Uh, respectively had 26 and 24 points to help contribute to the win over the uh, Vegas aces. And like you mentioned, Candace Parker for, uh, you know, one of the, I think more well-recognizable stars in the WNBA. Yes. Um, She, you know, despite her heroics, uh, you know, Connecticut was able to come out on top in this matchup. I do look for both series to even up as both games are being played uh, tonight. Excuse me. um, Game two. Listen, Seattle, you know, especially at home to get that win over Vegas was huge, but I think it's going to cause Vegas to come out more focused, more motivated, and I do think they are going to get uh, the Game 2 victory. And same over in the other bracket. Uh, I just don't believe Candace Parker, you can really get her down 2-0 in any series. I just, yeah. I don't believe that happens. Yeah, I mean, she's a champ. She's, I mean, she's a champion, but also, I mean, with on the other the other side, uh, the, the the west side, uh, with the, the Aces and um, the Storm, I mean, when you have Kelsey Plum and you have Asia Wilson, who was just announced as Defensive Player of the Year today, um, I mean, they're unstoppable. It's like it's like watching, it's like, hmm, it's like Kobe and Shaq on on the W side because like Asia Wilson is so elite on the defensive side and she's such a versatile big. Um, who can get you on the inside, get you outside, shoot the three, shoot the mid-range. She really can do it all. And then Kelsey Plum, I mean, she's just an elite guard. I mean, she's probably top 15 of guards in the in the league right now mm-hmm. um, with the way she's able to get to the basket, they able, how she's able to shoot the three, um, and really kick it out to people who who they need. Um, it, it, I've, I've been so excited for this matchup with um, Vegas and Seattle. I mean, it, it doesn't get better than this. Sometimes I just want them to be in the finals just to see who can win the whole thing against those two. But, you know, sadly, you can never get that. But it's okay. It's cool. It's okay. We're getting it for a conference finals. It's the next best thing. Anthony, I'm really glad that you pointed it out because we talk about how over on the men's side, like how more developed and how more well-skilled like these young guys are coming into the NBA. The WNBA has got some bright stars too that are no longer one-dimensional. Like they have very well-rounded games. They're able to do things that, you know, previous iterations weren't able to do. And it shows the evolution of the game, how serious they're taking it. And got to shout out to the women, man, because uh, this is something that, you know, they keep putting good basketball on tape. You'll be forced to watch them. And that's the thing, the biggest thing for the WNBA right now. And also, speaking of the Vegas, and I, I know I keep bringing up the Vegas Aces and Seattle Storm, seven number one overall picks playing in that um, matchup. Uh, first time ever in W or NBA like format ever. So that's that that's also huge. But big shout out to uh, Courtney Vandersloop. She's a dog, bro. 
Yeah. He's a dog on the <laughs> Chicago sky. And I, and, and I think having Candace Parker and Courtney Vandesloo, I, I think they're going to be able to bring out the win. I, I, I want to lean towards the sky trying to repeat as champs. You it's, know, cause it's tough to pick against them, man. It's really hard because, like, I mean, the way they played, they had, I think, four players yeah. Like all in all, WNBA. Right. You don't think Suber walks out with a, I mean, a I, fifth I, champion. I love it. I want to say that'd yes. be like cherry I mean, on top. That would, but I mean, honestly, re- honestly, I think Brianna Stewart, like she knows that, like, yeah. like, like it's it's Suber's last last ride. I don't think she's gonna let anybody get in her way. I, I would really hope so. One last thing on uh, Candace Park because I didn't realize she uh, she finished with 19 points, 18 rebounds, six blocks, five assists, and four steals. She fell one steal short of the second five by five game in league history. Something she achieved during her rookie season back in 2008, and she's doing it in the conference semifinals. Hey man, that's hey, that man. that's the kind of girl you're going up against. That's the kind of woman you're going up against. Excuse me. I mean, I mean, okay. So, 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 give me my, so, give me your prediction of WNBA MVP. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a tie between these two athletes, and they're both playing in the semifinals. It's, and they're kind of on other, other side too. It's Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson. Asia just won the Defensive Player of the Year. Brianna Stewart, I mean, she's been an MVP. She's been a champion multiple times, as well as Asia Wilson, and they've been going back and forth. Uh, time and time again, it's 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 a rivalry between the two. If you had to pick your WNBA MVP, who'd you pick out of uh, those two? Well, look, I, I think I'm a little biased here, but um, oh gosh, I right, listen, I love Brianna. Oh lord, um, I love everything she's done. I love everything she's about. I mean, her recovering from that ACL injury she had earlier in her career. I mean, it just shows the kind of the fire and the competitiveness that she has. I think she's one of the best things going in the WNBA right now. And yeah, selfishly, I do think that uh, yeah, that it's it's her. So. It's two. It's, it's Asia Wilson, right? Uh, no. Yeah, I'm going Brianna Stewart. Oh, okay, Kevin. Um, I think I'm gonna have to side with you. That I think that I think that you're right. I think she's gonna win it. Um, it's just it's tough to compete against somebody like that. And I mean, either way, whenever you're taking people and uh, that, that that goes for NBA or WNBA or any sport at all, when you're picking MVPs, you're you're splitting hairs to find. The best of the best of the best. And, um, oh yeah, I think I'm going to side with Colin on that one. Thank yeah. you, sir. Uh, Don't that, do it often, so. That's so sweet. But I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm siding with Asia, the defensive player of the year. That's fair. I think she'll, she'll win uh, defensive player of the year as well as uh, MVP also. But, guys, what a show. Formula One. What a show. College football, WNBA. Uh, and of course, I, like, some regular baseball too. That yeah. that that beer snake. Yep. That, that, it's a beer snake. I'm or bear telling snake? y'all, if y'all didn't see it, go see it. It <laughs> was absolutely insane. Do some research on the uh, the language of beer as well. The language of beer. <laughs> language yeah. of beer. They yeah. say that music's the universal language. I think not even just beer, alcohol in general could very well just be the universal language. Facts. So that's how we'll end the. I guess that's how we'll end the show. Just speak. Alcohol. If you're above age, <laughs> right, right. Obviously, drink responsible. Go, yeah, don't there be doing nothing stupid. Right. right. Make sure you guys follow us at Fools on Stools on our Twitter, Instagram, and all social platforms. Follow us on our personal ones as well. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns about what we talk about, and if you want to talk about Kevin's hot takes or the stats that Cullen brings up, or why I'm so wacky on this awesome podcast, please hit us up. Let us know. 
We'll be back right here next time on the Fools on Souls podcast for Kevin Walker, Cullen Brown. I'm Anthony Council. And for everyone on this fantastic podcast, we'll see you guys next time. Grab a stool, be a fool. We'll see you guys on the flip side. Peace.